We are finishing up our uh, sermon series, Try God, and we've been studying about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we thought we would finish our uh, series this week, and uh, we wanted to have an interview with someone who was an expert in ancient biblical literature. We searched around, and we found just such an expert. And so today, I want to welcome live via satellite, Moses. Hello, Moses. You there? Can you hear me, Moses? Moses. Hello, hello, Doug. Thank you. Hello, testing. Is it one, two, one, two, Sibilis, Sibilis. It's great to be here at NLCC in Palestine. Great times, good times. Well, I know that you're busy doing whatever it is that you do, Big Mo, um, so we'll get right to it. Can I call you Big Mo? I, I kind of like to use that, Big Mo. Um, no, no, you can't. Well, okay, that's kind of awkward. Well, we had our members write down some questions, and so this first one is from Je- Jeff, Jeff Gillis. Gillis. Did you say Jeff Gillis? I went to school with that guy. Jeff, what's up? What's he up to now? Remember spring break? Woo-hoo-hoo! You remember that time when... Wait, we're in a church, right? Okay, we'll talk later. Sorry about that. Okay, well, Jeff asks, what is the toughest thing about taking millions of people across the wilderness? What? Jeff would know. He was there. <sighs> well, the worst thing... Well, besides Mrs. Moses constantly yapping in my ear, why didn't you ask a nice goater for directions to Canaan? I gotta go to the bathroom. Are we there yet? Shut up, woman! I'll pull this thing over! <clears throat> Sorry, flashbacks. Well, there, there's just not too many ways to cook quail. And quite honestly, manna is a natural laxative. God didn't tell us that one. But anyway, when eating something that um, gets the train moving out of the station, if you know what I mean, you depend on the bathrooms to be there when you need them. Let me put it this way. There weren't many trees out there, but they were all well fertilized. <laughs> oh, Moses, that's way too much information. Well, you asked. Okay, next question. What was it like navigating the crocodile-infested Nile River in a basket? Navigate what? Dude, I was three weeks old. I wasn't exactly scuttling the jib and swabbing the starboard deck, matey. Who asked that dumb question anyway? Uh, that was James, our uh, youth minister. He oh, wanted to know oh, that. That makes sense, actually. Okay, go ahead. Next question. Well, this next question is from me. What advice would you give a young pastor about tending his flock? Did, did you say <laughs> you say young pastor? <laughs> Who's a young pastor? Tending his flock? Boy, somebody was raised in a Baptist church, weren't they? Woo! Churchy! Okay, Moses, you need to <laughs> shut up since you're our guest. Shut up. Hey, hey! Respect thy elders. I wrote it on a tablet! Anyway, let's see. How about this? Um, let's see. Young pastor tending his flock. Be careful of who you leave in charge of your congregation. I remember one time I, I came down from a sabbatical on Mount Sinai after 40 days to my number two guy leading worship songs to some lame idol. Oh, take warning. It can happen to you, Doug. Oh, yeah. Been there, done that. I went on vacation, left James and Wes in charge, and they had some luau in the living room. Anyway, what's it like pretending to be an Egyptian when your brothers and sisters are enslaved by them? What? I was not pretending. I was, um, uh, see what I was, okay, here's the, I was, I was conducting a, um, social experiment on, um, the nature of man's carnal profundities as it re- Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, didn't you throw a temper tantrum, kill an Egyptian soldier, and then run away for like 40 years in the wilderness? 
No, I don't know. What? I don't. What'd you say, Doug? You're breaking up. I can't hear you. Okay, just uh, one last question, Moses. Why didn't God allow you into the promised land? I'm just, Doug, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a valley or something. I, I'm losing you. I'm losing you, Doug. Hello? I'm going down. He's one of my favorite Old Testament characters. And uh, we're going to have him back in a couple of weeks. We're going to start a new series called A Few Good Men. And I've got so many questions that we didn't get to ask uh, Big Mo today that we'll ask him in a few weeks. I hope that you'll be with us for that. I know you'll be waiting with bated breath. Now, last week we talked about the fact that mankind was tethered to the Trinity. Um, we said that when, when God created us, He tethered humans to Him, uh, to the Trinity, to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When Adam and Eve sinned, they cut the tether. You and I, when we sin, we cut the tether as well. And if you spend any amount of time watching people, you'll soon figure out where they are trying to find meaning in life. Kind of like an umbilical cord, you'll find where they're trying to get sustenance, where they're trying to get uh, purpose and, and satisfaction in life. Trace the cord and you'll find that some people attach this to a guy or a girl and they think that they can get the soul level connection from sex. Now, when a husband and wife have sex, a husband and wife who are tethered to the Trinity, when they have sex, sex is a good thing. God created sex. So when a husband and wife tethered to the Trinity have sex, they honor God the Father and they get closer to one another. Whenever people who aren't married, who aren't tethered to the Trinity, whenever they have sex, they don't get connection. They don't get closer to God and closer to their significant other. There is emptiness on the inside. Have you ever wondered why some people are plugging into a buzz? Where can I get the next high? Where can I, where can I find the, the next thing that's going to make me feel better? And have you ever wondered why, after a while, it may be fun for a little bit, but after a while, you wake up empty. That's because God the Father planned it that way. Your Creator planned it. He designed you with a God-shaped void on the inside. You plug into anything other than God. You tether into anything other than God. You will eventually um, wake up empty. God planned it that way. And so we said that when God created us, He created us tethered to the Trinity. They sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, you and I sinned, we, are, we cut the tether. Now, we said that God planned before the beginning of the world. God planned the work of reconciling you and I back to Him. Jesus Christ worked the plan. Jesus came at just the right time. We talked about last week at the perfect time in history. If you look at all of the things that had to come about for Jesus to come, that was the exact time. The Scripture says that just the right time, Christ came and He died for us. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross to pay the, the, the debt that you and I could never pay. And, and when he was on the cross, the very last words that he said were, it is finished. What is finished? God the Father's plan. Jesus Christ completed that work. And from that time until now, the Holy Spirit has been personalizing the plan. God planned the work. Jesus worked the plan. Now the Holy Spirit personalizes that plan for every human being. Now this whole process has been written down for us in the Bible. And the other thing that's been written down in the Bible that you may not know is that God... God wrote down that there were going to be false teachers who were going to come into the world and try to get you to tether into something other than the Trinity. Look at this in Jude chapter 1. Jude, you need to understand, is the half-brother of Jesus. 
He's the brother of James. James was the leader of the, the church in Jerusalem uh, after Jesus went back to heaven and after the church was scattered because it wasn't popular to be a Christian back then. So James, his full brother, he was the half-brother of Jesus. Jude was also the half-brother of Jesus. Look what he says. My dear friends, I really wanted to write you about God's saving power at work in our lives. But instead, I wanted to tell you about what Jesus has done and how you can grow spiritually and how you can spread this life-saving message to everyone you come in contact with. That's what I wanted to write this letter about. But instead, I must write and ask you to defend the faith. Defend it from what? This is a military term, like you have a, a city surrounded by a wall and you're defending your territory. He says, defend the faith. Defend it from what? Defend the faith that God has once for all, that's another key phrase, once for all given to His people. That means Christians, Christ followers. God has once for all written down His instructions to us. It's in the Bible, once for all. He wrote it down and it's there. Now look why we have to defend it. Some godless people have sneaked in among us and are saying, God treats us better than we deserve. And so it is all right to be immoral. What they were saying, there was a group of people who were saying, well, our physical body is, is just um, dirty, immoral, but our spirit, our spirit really matters. So we're going to cultivate our spirit and we're just not going to worry about what our bodies do. So they would do any pleasure, sex, drugs, whatever, they, any pleasure that the body had, they said that didn't matter because our bodies were going to be destroyed and they're going to die anyway. Let's cultivate our spirit. Jesus comes along and says... That's hogwash. You can't separate the body from the spirit. And so this, this letter from Judy says, some people have come in and said, it's all right to be immoral. God forbid that we tell people it's all right to be immoral. And look, look what he says next. They even deny that we must obey Jesus Christ as our only master and Lord. Remember that. They deny godless people, false religions, deny that we must follow Jesus Christ as our only Lord and master. And then look what this says. But long ago, the Scriptures warned that these godless people were doomed. Now, here's something I want to tell you. Because as my job, my job as, as a pastor is to lead and to feed. Part of feeding you is helping you understand the pure nature of what God has done, the, the faith once for all delivered to Christ's followers. And here's what you have to pay attention to. Anytime someone tells you, you hear somebody preaching and they say, I have a new revelation for God, from God. There ought to be this huge red flag going up. All this stuff ought to go off. Because every time, I've studied world religions, every time someone comes up with a new revelation, it contradicts with the faith, the, the faith that God has delivered to us once and for all. It contradicts God's written plan, God's written word every time. Cults need to come up with a new revelation to get you to understand and follow them because you have to turn your back on what was once and for all delivered to God's people. The Trinity sets Christianity apart from every other world religion and if you study other world religions, you're going to find out that they're going to take some part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're going to change that to their understanding of a revelation, a new revelation from God because when you discount one part of the Trinity, you've really discounted Christianity as well. Christianity is unique because we believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you need some background on that, get our, our past uh, sermons. kind of helps you understand that. You can go to iTunes or you can ask one of the sound people and they'll, they'll make you some sermons from the past um, so we don't go back over all of this. Now, lots of people claim that there are many roads to God. That makes as much sense as saying that all roads lead to Dallas. 
or all roads lead to Tyler. They don't, do they? I don't know if you've ever been on the wrong road, desperately wishing you were on the right road, wandering around in the wilderness. Not that I've ever done this. Wandering around, no matter how badly you hope that it's the right road that will get you there, there's some point you've got to admit, I'm lost. And I hate that feeling. I hate being lost. I'm one of those planners, you know, I like to, I like to have maps and stuff and I like to know exactly. But every once in a while I get cocky and I'll drive somewhere. Janie and I were in Dallas a few weeks ago, actually a few months ago, and we were trying a different way back to my brother's house and, and is a way I'd never been before. And I couldn't take you on that way again because I kept thinking, man, Surely we're going to pass this road eventually. And we didn't. And Janie's like, it's okay. And the further I went down this road, I'm going, it's not okay. we got to find the road. Because I was real worried about, you know, the, the rush hour traffic. And I did not find the right road until after rush hour traffic had hit. And I was quite pleased. It doesn't matter how desperately you want to be on the right road if you are on the wrong road. Well, Jesus built the only road to God. And it is the ultimate free way. And he constructed, he's left all kinds of road signs pointing to the way, that single road. Here it is. This is bottom line truth. One way to God, and that one way, that ultimate freeway, is Highway 146. Highway 146, I'll explain that. All that is is shorthand for John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus had been talking to his disciples. He's saying, I'm about to go to God. And he says, when I go, I'm going to come back for you. You know where I'm going. And the disciples say, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How can we know where you're going? And look what Jesus says in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the road. You may have memorized this as the way. I am the way. Also the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father apart from me. Now, you pay attention to that phrase, that last sentence. No one gets to the Father except by me. Of all the outrageous claims that Jesus Christ made, and he made a bunch of them. Of all the outrageous claims, most people have... This is the one that causes the most controversy. That's because most people believe there's a God. Most people believe that that Jesus came from God. Now, they won't necessarily say He's God's Son, but most people believe there is a God. Most people don't have a hard time believing that, that Jesus performed miracles. You look at other world religions, some of them admit that Jesus performed miracles. Muslims say that Jesus performed miracles, but Muhammad didn't perform miracles. But they say that Muhammad's better than Jesus. I don't know. Study that and, and it'll, it'll blow your mind. But most people believe that that Jesus did miracles. A lot of people believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. That's because they believe there is a God. Most people will say, I believe everything in the Bible except this one thing. This is where we lose most people. Because Jesus told us in in Matthew chapter 7, He said, broad is the way, and many are those who find the way to destruction. You You know what destruction is? Hell. Americans, 88% of Americans believe in heaven. Less than 30% believe in hell. Why is that? The same source for the idea of heaven and hell is Jesus Christ. Jesus talked more about hell than He did about heaven. I don't understand. I think it's just because we don't want to believe in hell. Jesus said that many are on the road to hell. And then He said there's this narrow way, this little bitty way, and very few are the ones who find the way to God. And he said, it's through me. Jesus Christ said, I am that road. I am that way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Jesus said, most people are not on that road. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in hell. Do you want to know why? Because their founder didn't believe in hell. Charles Taz Russell, when he was 18 years old, he decided he didn't like the idea of hell. So he started his own 
belief system. It later became known as the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, they said that salvation comes through the Watchtower organization, not through Jesus Christ. So it contradicts what Jesus Christ said. Jesus said, I'm the way. Jehovah's Witnesses say you can only be saved through the Watchtower organization. They believe that Jesus died on a stake, not on a cross, for, the, for Adam's sin so that you and I might be able to work our way into heaven. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not as a result of works. So no man can boast. They believe you're going to stand before God and if your good works outweigh your bad works, you're going to get to go into heaven. But they don't even believe in a hell. Somebody's lying. Mormons don't believe in hell. Why? Because Joseph Smith, their founder, did not believe in hell. They have a different God from the one that's revealed. Once for all, delivered to God's people. Their God was once a human being and he did enough stuff that he now is a God and you too can become like him. That's a different God than what was once for all delivered to God's people. They have a different Jesus than the one that was in the Bible. Their Jesus was the spiritual brother of Lucifer. They teach that when you die, you'll face God, but it's a different God. You'll face Jesus Christ, a different Jesus. And Joseph Smith, look at this quote from the Journal of Discourses. No man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. So they have a different God. They have a different Jesus. They have a different Holy Spirit. Evidently, Joseph Smith has become the Holy Spirit. That is not what was once and for all delivered to God's people. Muslims believe that God is unapproachable and unknowable. He's an angry God. They believe that Jesus was one of 124,000 different prophets. You'll recognize if you study some of the prophets, some of them are like Moses and Noah and Elijah, but there's 124,000 of them, and Muhammad is the latest, greatest of all the prophets. And you must do what he said. And there's this fivefold, these five pillars, and you got to go to Mecca, you got to do all of this stuff that Muhammad said that directly contradicts what Jesus Christ said. They believe that the day of judgment is a terrible day. Listen to this. A day on which those whose good works outweigh their bad works, they get to go into heaven. Those whose bad works outweigh their good works, they're destroyed. It's a different Jesus, different God, different Holy Spirit. That's why when Jesus Christ said, there's one way and I am it, it caused all kinds of people to start screaming out, intolerant! I can't believe you think you're better than me. I can't believe you think your belief system is better. How dare you judge me? I just can't believe that. Let me be real clear. I am not better than you. The Bible's real clear. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're on equal ground. What I'm claiming is that my founder is better than their founder. If you want to know about a religion, go to the founder of the religion. I'm merely repeating what Jesus Christ, the founder of Christianity, said when he said, there is one way and I am it. So don't get mad at me. Get mad at Jesus Christ. And this whole thing, Jesus built this Highway 146. It is the only way to God. And it separates Christianity from every other religion. But what about the Muslim who is sincere? What about the Jehovah's Witnesses that are sincere? The Mormons who, sin who are sincere? What happens to them? Go back to Jesus, and I'm just going to repeat His words. If there is one way to God, and Jesus is it, and you are on any other road, according to Jesus, the founder of Christianity, that leads to hell. I'm just repeating what my founder said. Jesus said there's one way, 
And the number is Highway 146, John 14.6. Now, a lot of people don't understand why we need this road. It goes all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve sinned. And everything was perfect in the garden until they sinned. God told Adam and Eve not to go to this one tree. And so what do they do? They do the same thing you and I do. The one thing that we're not supposed to do, what do we do? We hang out next to it. And we look at it. And we long for it. Me, it's ice cream. I have some ice cream in the fridge right now that I haven't eaten in about five days because I've been convicted that I'm fat. But I haven't thrown away my ice cream. You know why? Because I'm going to eat it. The reason I keep the ice cream in the fridge is because I'm going to eat it. Adam and Eve hung out next to the one thing they could not have until it drove them crazy. They took from it. They deliberately chose to sin. You and I do the same thing. We fixate on what we can't have. God's narrow. He's restrictive. No, He's not. Jesus said there's one way. Humans fell from a perfect existence. That's why we call what Adam and Eve did, we call that the fall. When they chose to sin, humans fell from a perfect existence to one marred by sin. Adam and Eve did the same thing you and I do. They deliberately chose to sin. They knew what was right. They chose to do it anyway. They did the wrong thing anyway. You and I do the same thing. So the Bible says in Isaiah 59 too, there is a problem. Your sins have cut you off from God. Because of your sin, He has turned away and will not listen anymore. The whole consequence of being, of sinning is being cut off from God. We are no longer tethered to the Trinity. There is a problem we have to deal with. Now, sometimes folks come to me for counseling, marriage counseling. And when they come to me, there's some issue that they can't resolve. And usually this issue, a lot of times, not I won't say usually, but a lot of times this issue is very evident to everyone around who's not emotionally involved in the situation. Here's the issue. And and it's different for others. It's communication. It's back. You know, you're you're carrying in all kinds of emotional baggage. What? But there's an issue there. Here's what most people do in marriage relationships: they drive around the issue, and they think if I come over here, then I can ignore the issue, and and the issue just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So they drive all kinds of relational miles around the issue, and they never deal with the issue. Christians, well, people do the same thing. And the issue is sin. And see, what we think is that God will change the rules for us. I'm not that bad. I'm not like Osama. I'm not a murderer, a rapist. I'm not that bad. But see, here's the deal. Sin, according to the Bible, according to what was delivered to us once and for all, sin separates you from God. And you don't get to just ignore your sin and walk this way and say, Hey, God, come follow me. Hey, God, I want to be tethered to you, but I want you to revolve around me. I don't want to revolve around you. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't move either. You know where God is? He's directly on the other side of your sin. In order to become a child of God, you have to get on the one way, Highway 146, You come face to face with your sin. God's right there waiting on you to be humble and to say, I have failed. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. 
And the incredible thing about Christianity, again, that distinguishes it from all others, all the others, I can work my way back to God. Christianity, you can't. You must accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Then He removes the barrier and you're re-tethered to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And just in case you think that, that maybe, you know, you are a good person, that maybe, uh, you, you, uh, haven't sinned, look again at what the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we proudly display our righteous deeds, we find they are but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins, like the wind, sweep us away. According to that scripture, how many are infected with sin? All. Not only that, but we've tried to make ourselves look better than we are. We've tried to put on masks and, and pretend to be nice. Sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll go and we'll walk a little old lady across the street and we feel so good about ourselves. Or maybe we go to church and because I go to church, I feel so good about myself. Maybe we give money. I must be a Christian if I give money. We ignore the sin and God says, I can't do that. Because heaven is a perfect place. If I let you in, an imperfect person, then heaven's no longer going to be perfect anymore. By the way, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. Because it won't be perfect anymore. Because you'll be there. We've said from the beginning, this is not a perfect church. There were 22 of us at our very first service almost seven years ago. None of us were perfect. We've proven that over and over to get each other for seven years. We're not perfect, but we serve a God who is. And you must address the problem His way. And so God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He sent Jesus Christ to clear away the roadblocks so that we could become members of His family. I don't know if you remember, a few years ago um, out here on Luke 256, there was a, a um, gasoline tanker truck that overturned just in between um, Story Elementary and uh, Highway 79, the light there, it overturned and, and it, it closed the road for all day. You go around, they direct you different directions. They, they closed down Story. It was a summer school day and, and they were having summer school at Story. So they, they evacuated Story School. They evacuated the YMCA because um, the fumes were so bad. And, and so we had to do something. So they called in all of these experts in hazmat. I've always wanted to wear a hazmat suit just to do it. You know, it looks kind of cool. Um, I don't want to deal with the hazardous material. I just want to wear the suit. So they have these hazmat dudes out there and they're, they're scouring. They dig up the soil and they replace the soil because it was so bad. This was toxic material and they couldn't leave it there because someone would die. Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross, He took the toxic material, which is our sin, and He took it upon Himself so that you and I might have a way back to God. And, and some people, they're going to say, oh, cool, if, if Jesus took the sin, if He cleared out the hazardous, hazardous material, I'm in! Let's go live like hell! Remember what Jude said? Godless people say you can live any way you want to. Godless people say you can be immoral. Godless people say you do not have to obey Jesus Christ. He deals with it, and, and if He's dealt with it, why do I have to worry about it? Well, you've got to get on the freeway. You've got to get on Highway 146. It's not enough to say, I know there is a road that leads to God, and someday I'll get on it. Someday. Most people use excuses. I know there's a road, but 
not today. I'm not going to go today. And the truth is, they keep using excuses and they never get on the ultimate free way. It makes no sense at all. I guess unless you go back to what the Bible says, Proverbs 16.25, sometimes what seems right is really a road to death. Most folks spend their lives on one of three roads to death. First road is Margaritaville. Jimmy Buffett song, nibbling on sponge cake, watching the sun bake. All of those tourists covered with oil, strumming my six string on my front porch swing. Smell those shrimp, they're beginning to boil, wasting away in Margaritaville, searching for my lost shaker of salt. Some people say, there's a woman to blame, but I know it's nobody's fault. That's what it says. I know it's nobody. Listen, to this is deep theology right here. I don't know the reason I stayed. I'd sing it for you, but you're getting tired of that already. I stayed here all season. Nothing to show but this brand new tattoo. But it's a real beauty, a Mexican cutie. How it got here, I hadn't a clue. Wasting away Margarita. Okay, next verse. I blew out my flip-flop. Stepped on a pop-top, cut my heel, had to cruise on back home. But there's booze in the blender, and soon it will render that frozen concoction that helps me hang on, wasting away. But even Jimmy Buffett says at the end, some people say it's a woman to blame, but I know it's my fault. There's a little bit of theology there. Margaritaville is where people deaden the pain of a miserable existence. Margaritaville is filled with people who are insecure, immature, and running from reality. Boys hang around in Margaritaville. Girls hang around. Not women and men. I don't care what your physical age, your chronological age. If you're hanging around trying to deaden the pain of a miserable existence in Margaritaville, you're insecure, immature, and you're running from reality. In Celebrate Recovery, we call that being in denial. You're denying there's a problem. <laughs> Some of you are on that road right now. And I'm not at all making fun of you. If, if there's ever a place for someone who struggles with, with sexual addiction, chemical addiction, um, just struggles with life, this is the church for you. We do not condemn people, but we're gonna, we're gonna tell you the truth. The truth is, you're going to be empty until you deal with the real problem. Quit driving around the real problem. And you're saying, oh, Doug, it's no big deal. I'm just blowing off some steam. Go back to God's Word. Proverbs 16, 25. Sometimes what seems like no big deal, sometimes what seems right, is really a road to death. I don't want you to be on that road. Because quite honestly, I don't want to preach your funeral and have to talk about a reality that you weren't on God's road. It's hardest funerals I preach. I know the person in the casket's gone to hell. I know it. I spent about two seconds on their life. And I spend the rest of my time trying to tell people there how they can get on the right road, on the right way. 
There's a second road to death, and it's Stuffville. When pleasure doesn't fill the void in our souls, we turn to stuff. We think toys will make our lives worthwhile. We start to accumulate things, houses, cars, boats. That'll make me happy. Anybody ever stayed happy with your car? I'm not talking about the first six months. You go get a brand new stinking car. How long does it take for it to start smelling? If you got kids, like one day. When we clean our car, there's new life forms in our car. How long does stuff last? The second law of thermodynamics says things don't get better with age. I am living proof of the second law of thermodynamics. You are too. All our stuff is too. Things break down. They may make you happy for a little while, but it's not going to do it forever. And then when Margaritaville and Stuffville don't do it, people will change roads and they'll get on a third road. And I call it Doubtville. Doubtville. Here's the thinking. If these roads that I've chosen, if they're dead-end roads, if they leave me empty, then, then there really must not be a God. Maybe, maybe there's no way to get to God. And, and so we'll come up with these philosophical questions or these doubts to avoid the real issue. Kind of like we think we're throwing everybody off our scent, off our trail. That we're not really sinners. That Jesus didn't really mean what He said. We're, we're, uh, we have some deep, I had a guy in my house one time say, I have some questions that make any preacher quit the faith. Like, lay them on me, dude. Oh, well, uh, uh, he couldn't think of any. And then the ones he thought of, I was like, oh, that's easy. Come on, challenge me. You know what the real issue was? Dude was far from God. He wanted somebody to say, oh, you're not that bad. You'll only go to hell a little bit. Real issue was, he didn't want God messing around his playhouse. Most people that are in Doubtville, now I'm not talking about legitimate questions. I love legitimate questions. If I don't know the answer, I'll study. I mean, one of the things I get fired up about is defending the faith. I can give you way too many facts and stuff. About, you'd get bored. I love defending the faith. Bring your questions. We welcome questions. I'll never tell you. You just have to have enough faith, young man or young... I won't tell you that. But I'll walk along with you and discover the answers with you. That's why God's put me on the planet. But at least be intellectually honest enough that when, when, your, when your questions are answered, that you go, dude, <laughs> I don't have anything else and walk across the line of faith. Christianity is not blind faith. Blind faith is stupid. Christianity is fully aware of the obstacles, but believes that this faith once for all delivered to God's people is enough to get us through. It's a thinking man's religion. So I dare you to write down your questions. If you got a question today, write them on your card. We'll go have a cup of coffee and we'll talk about it. Doubtville. See, a lot of people say, well, if I move out of Doubtville, I'm going to have to give up some of my friends because my friends are dragging me down. I'm going to have to give up some of the crap I watch because it's dragging me down. I'm going to have to give up some of the places I go because it's dragging me down. And let's just be honest. You don't want God to tell you what to do. 
So if you reject everything of God in this life, why do you think God's going to let you into His heaven? If you reject God right now, He's eventually going to say, okay, you reject me in this life, then you've rejected me forever. And Jesus said, you don't get a second chance after death. I don't care what any religion you've grown up in says, you don't get a second chance after you die. A while back, I um, read a story of a Buddhist in Africa who converted to Christianity. That's a radical, radical change. He was asked why he would make such a radical change in re- religious beliefs, and he replied, well, I think of it this way. If you're walking along a road and you come into a fork in a road, and there are two men in the fork in the road. One man is alive, the other man is dead. Whose directions are you going to follow? The dead man? Maybe he died pointing to a road? Or the live guy? What he was saying is, I've considered the claims of world religions. What he's saying is, I've considered that all of the other founders of every other world religion, they're dead. You can go visit their graves. And in fact, you're supposed to. If you're a good follower of whatever religion, you're supposed to go visit their grave and pay homage to the great founder who's dead and still in the grave. Christianity is the only world religious system, belief system, where when you go visit the grave of the founder, he ain't there. We celebrate Easter, an empty tomb. If you study all of the things about Christianity, Christians say the tomb was empty. Jews who hated Christ say the tomb was empty. Romans who certainly didn't want Jesus Christ to come back because He was the King of the Jews, Romans say the tomb is empty. You can't find another religious belief system where the followers and the haters of the followers all agree. The founder's not there. He's gone. And so then you have people trying to come up with explanations why he's not there. Let me tell you why he's not there. The God who created you and put in you a void that only he can fill raised him from the dead. He appeared to more than 500 people at the same time after he was pronounced dead over a period of 40 days. And if you read 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will say, he's he's writing this letter to the the church at Corinth, and he says, some of these witnesses are still alive. So what he's saying is, if you don't believe me, go go talk to them. If you were to, to line up all 500 witnesses who saw Jesus Christ come back from the dead and do just five minutes of testimony, we'd be here for seven days just waiting on their testimony about the risen Savior Jesus Christ. Don't tell me there's not evidence There's overwhelming evidence. You have to ignore it in order to turn your back on Jesus Christ. Sadly, most people would rather go to hell than admit they're on the wrong road. The core of Christianity is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul again says, if you want to disprove Christianity, disprove the resurrection. The kicker is, here we are in 2009, no one's ever disproved the Christianity. I know lots of men, smart men, who set out with the whole goal to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They became Christians. When they finally, honestly evaluated the evidence, they said, i got to follow this guy. He's the only one to come back from the grave, never to die again. i got to follow him. 
So, God is not schizophrenic. God does not go to this side of the planet and say, okay, you got to follow Jesus Christ. He's the only way. And then go to the other planet and say, you got to follow Muhammad. Go to the other side of the planet and say, you got to follow Joseph Smith. Go over here and say, you got to follow jo- uh, Charles Taz Russell. Go over here, you got to follow Buddha. God's not schizophrenic. He didn't change it for different parts of the planet. According to His Son, part of the Trinity, there's one way to get to heaven. So someone's telling the truth and a whole bunch of people are lying. Here's the quickest way to tell. Go to the founder of a belief system. If the founder is a lying cheat who ran from the authorities, who died and is still in his tomb, don't believe it. But if the founder has never sinned, has never been uh, found in his grave, why would you not believe him? As goes the founder, so goes the belief system. Let me tell you something else that's kind of scary, men. As goes the father, so goes the next several generations. Which road are you on, Dad? If Highway 146 is the only road to God, you better be on it. And you better be leading your children to find it as well. You should bow your heads for just a moment. If you don't know if you're on Highway 146, if you don't know how to be adopted into God's family, I'm going to tell you real quick. The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord, that's Jesus Christ, will be saved. So the way we call on Him around here is it's real simple. We say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And if you want to be adopted today, you, you pray this silently in your mind. God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins and be the leader for the rest of my life. It's real simple. God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins and be my leader for the rest of my life. If you prayed that prayer according to the Bible, you are adopted into God's family. Now, some of you, you're Christ followers, but nobody around could tell. If we were to take you into a court today, there would not be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christ follower. Something's got to change. You might need to pray, God, I've been hanging out in Margaritaville, or God, I've been hanging out in Stuffville, or God, I've been hanging out in Doubtville. You may need to admit that and ask for forgiveness. Cool thing about God is He's a God of a second, third, two thousandth, two thousandth chance. You need to come back. Father, take Your Word and apply it to our lives and make us different men and women, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.